Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, an award-winning podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for today's military spouses so they can continue to make confident and informed decisions for themselves and their families. Because let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and your host for Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Jen Amos here. It's just me today. I'm really excited to share this special episode with you. I had the fortune to speak with Tim Brooks on his podcast show, I'll Talk If You Listen. And he was so kind to give me a copy of the raw file of our interview so that I could share it to our listenership here. So Tim, thank you so much for this opportunity to reshare our conversation. I thought this would be a great opportunity for all of you to get to know me a little bit more. I know that I spend a lot of time interviewing other people and really bringing to light the education, knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for our military families today, especially our career military families and our spouses. And there's a reason why I do what I do. And I think that this conversation I had with Tim did a great job capturing that. So first of all, in this conversation, you will hear me talk extensively about my experience living in San Diego for about 20 years before I moved out to Virginia Beach in the recent years. I covered some things about what typically tourists perceive of San Diego and what people should know about San Diego. I do get into my background about being a gold star daughter and how that impacted me growing up and how it made me view the military community, at least until I met my husband, in which we work together now in U.S. Vet Wealth, really serving our military community. I share how you know, meeting him and working with him has given me a more positive perspective on our community. So you'll get to hear more about that. Like I mentioned in this conversation, I talk about the history of holding down the fort, how it came about, why it came about and why we're still here today, four seasons later. And of course, we'll dive into U.S. Vet Wealth, which is the company that sponsors our show and all that good stuff. So, so yeah, I'm really excited for you all to listen to this conversation. And once again, I just want to remind you that the show is brought to you by U.S. Vet Wealth. And right now we are giving away the first three chapters of our best-selling book, Veteran Wealth Secrets, the post-military playbook for obtaining autonomy and financial control in the modern economy. You can actually download those first three chapters today by visiting veteranwealthsecrets.com. All right. Thank you all so much. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Tim Brooks on his podcast show. I'll talk if you listen. Tim, thanks again. And to our listeners, enjoy. Hey, gang. Welcome back. Another episode, another week. And this time, not just another guest, a very special guest. We have a gold star daughter host of Holding Down the Fort podcast, which is an award-winning podcast, Jen Amos. Jen, how are you? Tim, it's great to be here. I'm doing all right. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. I think my face is going to hurt after I get off the call because I've been smiling so much. Uh, I've been looking forward to the interview and 
Jen, I guess we can tell everybody. We've been kind of planning this for weeks now. I want to say, what, about two, three weeks? Yeah, and I just want to thank you, Tim, for your patience. My year has started off really jam-packed with a ton of things, and I can't be any more grateful considering just the landscape of life today. And Mm -hmm. it's just nice to feel that despite everything, I'm productive and I still have the means to serve Mm -hmm. in the capacity that I can. So, you know, I just want to thank you for your patience in getting this coordinated because I know that it probably would have been more ideal to maybe do it the week of that you messaged me. But I, again, appreciate your patience to get this together. Oh, no, not at all. Um, Actually, you did me a huge favor because it really helped out with the preparation. And Mm -hmm. it gave us a little bit of wiggle room and, hey, attitude, preparation, and effort. Those those are the things I can control. So I had no problem being patient. And honestly, it's kind of like riding a roller coaster. Like, hey, now I'm at the top and I can't wait to kind of go on the rest of the ride. So (laughs) although we met on a podcasting network and we don't really know each other that well, I feel like after listening to your podcast and getting to know a little bit of what you do, I feel closer, especially as a podcaster. There's a there's Aww. a lot I think we have in common. But before we talk about that, I would really like a lot of my viewers, especially those who may be active duty military, you know, inactive reserve, you know, anyone who may be a veteran at the moment, I would like them to get to know you as a person. So I got a few questions for you, and I was hoping we can – just explore those areas if, if that sounds like a plan. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. So it looks like you went to, I did a little research, a little digging, and it looks like you went to San Diego State University. What can you tell our viewers? Because like, you hear all these things about San Diego, how it's beautiful, you know, it's great, it's sunny. I've never heard a bad thing about San Diego. Can you tell us anything about that area that maybe the average tourist wouldn't know? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I now live in Virginia Beach, and I remember just leading up to the move, my friends would ask me, or actually my new friends out here when we came out here and I told them where I was from, they were like, why'd you leave paradise? You know, like they just jokingly say that. And uh, (laughs) There's a lot of good things to say about San Diego. For one, the weather is perfect, I I will say that. I mean, it really does depend on where you live, but for the most part, Being new to the East Coast for the last three years now, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how I took for granted just just my style of clothing back in San Diego. Ah. I didn't have to think too much about bringing a jacket with me when I left the house. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to think about, like, staying warm, where I remember first moving out here when it first hit, like, 16 degrees. And luckily, my my sister lives in New York City, so she told me before my first winter came, she was like, make sure you get a down coat. Make sure you get, like, use this brand, get, like, thermal jeans, get thermal everything. And I'm so glad I did because the type of material, like, wool and cotton just would not do it. It wouldn't make the cut for just how intense the weather is out here. And I have never looked at the Weather Channel app so many times in my life until I moved out here. But in San Diego, I didn't have to do that. And mm-hmm. and the thing is also, it's like when it started to drizzle, you thought, oh, that's not a big deal. Here, when it drizzles, like it rains and then it pours. And so mm-hmm. I've, learned, I've learned to just be more aware of that. But San Diego is great. The downside of it, I would say, though, is now that I'm out here, I can say this just because I'm out here now, but You know, California in general, because the weather is 
pretty good over there. Mm-hmm. It is a little vain. It is about fashion. It's about like uh, how you look. Everyone cares about like can you suck it in? You know what I mean? Like everyone mm-hmm. cares about their physique, their how how they appear on the surface. Where out here, like I haven't had to worry about that. Like I haven't felt self-conscious about gaining a couple pounds or mm-hmm. just wearing loose clothing all the time. And so it is a little vain out there. And then the third thing, which I think is very important to talk about, is just the homelessness issue. All the major parks there, you know, are just crowded, you know, with homeless people who a lot of them are actually veterans, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, and since COVID uh, has happened, there's been more and more homeless people, a lot of them by choice. You know, because it turns out it's, if there's, I mean, I would say this myself, if there's any place I would be homeless, it would be California because weather's perfect. A lot of people are giving. A lot of people, you know, go out and give you food left and right. So right. it's not a bad deal, you know, and you have the public parks. You, if you have a tent, like you're solid, like you can do just fine. And so that's definitely, you know, kind of the reality of perfect weather is like you attract, I guess, more homelessness because I remember when we moved out here, I was like, I was like, where's all the, like, where's all the homeless people? Like, I, I was just mm-hmm. so used to that. We're out here, mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe there's one, maybe there's two, but, you know, if it's too cold, like, who's going to, you know, who's going to be out? And, of course, they very much exist out here, but definitely not as prominent as San Diego and California as a whole. And then the last thing I will mention, Tim, I, I know I'm, like, being very extensive about this, is one thing that I didn't have in San Diego that I have out here just that hospitality, like people here actually mm. give me eye contact and actually oh, say hello huge. and wave at, yeah, wave at me and have a conversation with me where back in San Diego, like people wouldn't even look at you because we had this, we were sort of conditioned, at least with my mom of like, don't talk to strangers, you know, like don't like, right. like don't talk to strangers. Right. And so it just is a different culture overall. But yeah, I would say that for people that are just visiting, it's perfect. <laughs> San Diego is perfect. It's beautiful. <laughs> But if you live there, you start to see the cost of perfection. You really do. So, I'm sure. And I've come across a lot of people who are in the military, whether they be friends, some distant family members, or even customers when I used to work in retail. And you will hear mm-hmm. so many different types of stories from different parts of the world. And I call myself a tourist in my own city. I don't really get to travel too much. So I mm-hmm. always like to hear other people's experiences and that was one of the driving forces behind me wanting to join the mil- going to the military back in the day, of wanting to travel and see the world because I was such a person that was kind of cooped up in his own city. And you talked about a few different areas in regards to San Diego. You talked about the culture and you talked about the climate, but you also talked about, you know, the vanity and, and gaining weight. And one, I don't know about you, Jen, I've gained a little bit of weight uh, since oh, yeah. quarantine has started. And one thing I always I'm curious about when it comes to people, when it comes to different places, is the food. And I have a really fun question for you. The people in Philadelphia roll their eyes whenever they see the stereotypical shots of the Liberty Bell and the stereotypical shots of the big-name cheesesteak places and the stereotypical shots of the pretzels and all this other stuff. And sometimes we feel like, hey, we're much more than that. You know, we get... You're showing the stuff, that touristy stuff. I want you to show the real stuff. Is there anything that comes to mind for you when it comes to San Diego that maybe people would see on TV and it's really not the real San Diego that as a a person from San Diego you kind of roll your eyes at? Wow, that's a good question because, you know, I haven't run into enough, I guess, people around here where they would say, oh, yeah, I visited San Diego, you know, this Mm -hmm. and this and this. 
I'm trying to imagine what people would say. I mean, I think the assumption of San Diego is that it's a beach town and that it's very like slow paced and everything. It's just like a retirement community overall. But I sort of agree with the slow pace aspect if you compare it to L.A. Because a lot of people end up like, you know, leaving L.A. to retire in San Diego or they have the second home in San Diego or what have you. But, you know, we're not just a retirement home. There's very much, there's you know, suburbia is a thing in San Diego, too. I grew up a little more southern San Diego. I grew up in most of the school system there, at least when we ended up moving there, very much close to the Mexican border. And, yeah, it's just regular families just trying to do right by their kids and, you know, taking through the school system to go to college, to get a good job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, there's a boring side of San Diego that's, I mean, not boring, but, but yeah, there's a suburban side, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's not just a beach mm-hmm. town. And then mm-hmm. there's just a lot of different subcultures in San Diego. I feel like if you don't like one culture, like if you want more of the city life, you have like downtown San Diego. If you uh, don't like the whole going to the clubs and being perfect all the time, there's places like North Park, South Park, Hillcrest, where it's more down to earth, or people call it hipster, like hipster town, <laughs> where uh, it's a little more casual, laid back, like, you know, wearing sneakers at a bar kind of thing, as opposed to like nice shoes and heels or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there's a lot of different perceptions of San Diego, but I do think that I think that what people need to understand is that it's actually really eclectic. I think that's what people maybe don't know, that maybe they come there once, they look at the beaches, and they think it's perfect and Mm -hmm. beautiful and very, like you said, touristy, but it is very eclectic, and you can find a lot of subcultures in San Diego, and it's huge. It's a huge city. Like, there, it's not just, you don't think San Diego and think of it as like an island of sorts with one culture. No, there's so many more little towns and cities in San Diego with different, like I said, different subcultures. So I think that's the key word is it's a lot more eclectic than, let's mm-hmm. say, the average tourist would think. Wow, that was very insightful. I think that'll be really helpful for a lot of people who want to come because there's so many. I remember going to San Antonio one time, uh, and it was for work, so I couldn't really call it a vacation. But I remember going to San Antonio, and there was somebody who he was a vendor rep, so he would travel all over the country, and he would say so many stereotypical things about Philly because it's just whenever he's watching sports, they show the stereotypical shot of the skyline or they talk about the Schuylkill River and all these different things. And I'm like, oh, man, there's so much more to the city. So I'm sure people from San Diego and the surrounding areas will appreciate that. There's one key thing that I think that you just said that can also apply to our topic today, and that's perception is reality. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have this perception of military life. They have this perception of being a spouse to someone who has been in the military, and they even have a perception of what life is like after the military for so many different reasons, some of them positive, some of them not so much. You once shared on when you were a guest on another person's podcast that you kind of had a general perception about military life, and your current marriage and meeting your husband kind of helped to change that, and your work with, you know, your foundation kind of helped to change that. Can we talk about that a little bit on, like, what that switch was for you? And, you know, based on your history, I would like to talk a little bit about that, too. How your view went from one way and then something happened and now it is the way it is today? Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. So I grew up – so first and foremost, both my parents were immigrants from the Philippines. 
My dad was the one that joined the U.S. Navy before I believe the military bases were shut down in the Philippines when America took over and the Spaniards were actually, no, I'm sorry. When the Philippines became an independent state from America, I believe that's when the American bases shut down. So my dad was, you know, the last batch of people to join the military, you know, the U.S. Navy. So I was born in Japan, in Yokosuka, Japan Naval Base. And yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because first and foremost, you know, having, being of Filipino descent, being born in Japan, but on American soil, Mm. You can tell already that I was going to have a cultural, <laughs> I was going to have like this cultural, like, what do you call it? How would I, how would I describe that? Just this culture shock and, and trying to juggle with different cultures and identities at a very sure. age. And then on top of that, we moved around every two to three years. The interesting thing is, you know, the first base that I at least was a part of, the one that I was born at, turned out to be my dad's last military base and the last place he was stationed at before he was two years away from retiring. So he had already served 18 years at this point, and he was going to finish his service there in Japan. Well, unfortunately, this was back in 1998. My dad's last ship, which is the USS Kitty Hawk, was going from Japan to South Korea when he went missing. And Mm -hmm. they actually sent a search crew for three days, and they uh, continued the investigation for three months after that, until they just kind of let it go and they were able to not find any more evidence. But by then, by the time they gave up on that, my family and I had already catapulted our lives back to being civilians. We Mm -hmm. went back to San Diego because my mom has family there and also my dad's brother was there. So it just made sense to go back there. And it was interesting. Once we returned back to civilian life, and I was 10 at the time, It was as if we completely forgot about dad. It's like he didn't exist anymore because mom was just so focused on raising these three kids under 11 years old. So, Mm -hmm. you know, fast forward to, you know, 20 plus years later, when I met my husband, who is a West Point grad and his class graduated when 9-11 happened. So he was one of the first, you know, first of many soldiers to go to Iraq. And when he came back, he transitioned out. But even though he transitioned back into civilian life, he got into financial services and specialized in the military community. And so it was interesting meeting him. He ended up leaving Germany to come to San Diego. And that's actually how we met was he was in town. (laughs) And he was at the time I had a social media marketing agency and he was looking for a social media manager. And so we were introduced to each other and I promise I don't do this to all of my clients, but yeah, we ended up hitting it off. And, you know, here mm-hmm. we are today, five years later, being together and in business. But the interesting thing is when I met him, I thought actually assumed that people only join the military for employment opportunities. You know, I thought, oh, you're looking for a better life. You're looking, you know, for a chance to travel to get out of your certain situation, you know. And then, of course, after losing my dad, I saw it as a death trap. I saw job. Mm. Any job in general that kind of promised long-term stability, benefits, et cetera, I saw that as a death trap because I thought, like, if I'm in anything stable, I'm going to die like my dad. You know, like, it was just this thing that stuck in me mentally. But when I met my husband, who very much is service-driven and mission-oriented, he actually showed me a different side of the military, which was to to serve. I mean, what is it? At West Point, they taught him duty, honor, country, you know, so even after his service and a lot of his classmates, even after they 
transition out of the military, still serving, you know, working C-suite positions, business owners, just doing a lot of incredible things, running for politics. Like he has all those types of friends. And I was all like, I don't have types of friends like that. But mm-hmm. what it did is it, it kind of sparked that, I guess, desire to do something greater than myself. And part of wanting to do that first and foremost was to work past or unpack really the trauma that I had experienced in losing my dad. So there's just a lot of things, you know, in the 20 years after losing my dad that I really had to work through. But Mm -hmm. I guess you can say in regards to the transformation, I personally went from like, no, the military is bad. It takes away the people you love to, oh, the military has taught me to be, you know, service oriented, mission oriented, and to, you know, focus on things that are greater than me. Because what else are we going to do on this earth? Like, we're all about serving each other. And and it just gives me more purpose in life, you know, and makes me feel more fulfilled and uh, just satisfied with what I'm doing today. Like, I'm not just running a business to make money. I'm running a business to serve, you know. So there's a lot in there, but I hope that made sense. (laughs) No, sure. I think that's huge. So first and foremost, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure being a podcaster and sometimes guest, it's a story you go through many times, but I think that's huge for you be to, to be able to draw from those emotions that you experienced 20 years ago and do a lot of self-reflection. And that's phenomenal. I think for people to hear that, like, hey, you can think one way about something and have something in your life completely shake the foundation that, of that belief system. And sometimes it's for the better. I think that's awesome. Another thing that I think is shaking up the foundation for a lot of different things is your podcast. It is an award-winning podcast, and it is military-centric. But more specifically, what I like about it is it gives people the necessary knowledge and tools in order to succeed. So specifically when it comes to current and post-military life, can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to create the Holding You on the Fort podcast? And what it was like to get these guests onto your show to talk about these different areas? Yeah, absolutely. So this actually started, the idea came about amongst my colleagues in the business I run with my husband, U.S. Bet Wealth. And the way that I like to describe it is we provide thought-provoking financial education and flexible financial solutions for our career military families. And the thing is, when it comes to financial decisions in a household, You can talk to the service member all day, but at the end of the day, it's the spouse that holds down the fort and says, yeah, we can go with that or no. Like, I don't like that financial decision. And, you know, my team mainly consisted of veterans. And so naturally, they would attract other veterans and talk about their finances. But very often, we would come across, like, let's say that a veteran is ready to move forward and then finally includes their spouse into the conversation, they're like, wait, what? Like, you didn't tell me. <laughs> you didn't right. Tell me. Like, I <laughs> and so it's usually at that end when there's this miscommunication and, of course, the spouse who probably already just feels like their life is a constant treasure hunt and it's constantly changing and shifting to hear that their service member made a decision without them, it's kind of insulting, you know? <laughs> right. So with my background, having been a military family, like a career military family, I felt like it was best for me to build that relationship with these families. And also because I think to many civilians, when you think about soldiers, you don't really think of them as human. You know, you just think like, oh, they're here to serve, they're here to protect. Mm -hmm. But you don't think about the family that they come home to. You don't think about like if you lose a soldier, 
you don't just lose a soldier. You lose, like, like the family spirit, you know, their drive, mm-hmm. you know, like the effects of losing a soldier is like, it's not just a soldier that's lost for the nation, but for a family and the ripple effects that can cause, which I can, you know, talk about at a very intimate level because, you know, when we lost dad, it's like our life is catapulted back to civilian life. We didn't have a lot of support. You know, my mom just focused on, fortunately we had family that she could depend on, but it took me like 20 plus years to, you know, have a podcast like this where I'm finally learning what resources are even available for me as a gold star daughter that I didn't know Mm. a long time ago because I just wasn't informed. And so in addition to building a relationship with the career military families of today, you know, for the sake of our business, but really for just to understand who they are and what their needs are, not us assuming like, hey, you need financial planning. You know, what we come to find is that it's hard for them to make these decisions because they're distracted with a million other things, you know. So we have to be sensitive to that and not just, you know, talk about money like right away. Also, yeah, we realize that because they have so many distractions or they have so many things to balance, we realize like, well, we need to put together a show where we do bring on movers and shakers of the community and for the community to let them know that they exist and they're here to help because the government can only do so much. Like, you know, everyone has their thoughts on the government, but for the most part, they can't do it all. <laughs> no one can do it all, even the government. Right. And, so, and that's not a political statement. That's just fact in life. No one can do everything. And sure. so the whole idea is that to have a show where, You know, sometimes it's easier to open up to someone who's been through a similar experience as you than to open up to a therapist. And that's really Mm. the approach I take on the show is, like, I want to bring people who are in the community or for the community that do have knowledge, resources, or, you know, relevant stories that these career military families can, you know, eat up and, more importantly, feel like, oh, okay, no matter where I go, no matter where I move to next, holding down the fort feels like home to me. It feels like a place that I can go to consistently and know that like whoever's on the show, I can contact them right now if I wanted to, because they want to be contacted. They want people to reach out to them, you know, and Mm -hmm. a lot of times military spouses, how they collect their resources and tools and what have you is through word of mouth. And so they, you know, chat with one another and they say, Hey, what do you recommend? What do you recommend? And so this show very much serves as that extra, you know, word of mouth, platform in case they move to a new place and they don't know who to talk to, but at least they know that they have this community of people who've been on my show that they can reach out and, you know, connect with. So that's a little bit about that. And in regards to how we find people, you know, initially it started with me personally, like going on Instagram and using hashtags military spouse, milso, mm-hmm. milso, you know, and finding all of these military spouses who are very, let's say like narrative and expressive about their story and their journey and their struggle. And I asked them to be on the show. And then here we are in the fourth season. We don't have to really do much outreach anymore because people find us and they apply to be on our show. So, and on top of that, I even met my co-host and she's always like, Hey, what about this person? What about that person? And so initially it was hard to, I mean, it wasn't hard, but I had to put in a lot of effort to do the outreach And now it's just so great to have a pending list of people (laughs) who are waiting to hear back from me and be chosen. Someone mentioned to me, a past guest said, thank you for choosing me to be on your show. You know, it's it's just nice to make them feel honored, I guess, to be on the show. But that's really what it's become today is sort of this like waiting list of people that we need to, you know, qualify to bring on. And of course, like share whatever they want to share to continue to help our families today. 
Wow, that's beautiful, Jen. There's so much there to unpack that I really, that really speaks to me, not only as a podcaster, but as a person. And I'm going to touch on the personal piece first. One of the things that I love is music. I love music. I love the way music makes me feel. I love the way that music makes me think. And I love how vulnerable I feel when I listen to certain songs and how happy or how angry I feel when I listen to certain songs. And I think your podcast is synonymous to music in the sense that people can hear it and they can have these emotions kind of validated in a way when they listen to your podcast. So I think it's really cool to have a podcast called Holding Down the Fort because Essentially, you want to relate to that, you know, take occupation out of it, take, you know, where you're at currently in your life out of it. And you just want to be validated on how you're feeling. And I think when you listen to Holding Down the Fort, you feel that way. I think that's dope that you are taking so many different things from home ownership or travel or so many different things. And people who've been in those boots, literally, not figuratively, been in those boots or been in those core frames and you're having them on the show and somebody on the other side of that speaker is listening and relating and, and learning. Uh, you can't produce that. You know, that's, that's a genuine feeling. And I think that's super dope. Now as a podcaster, I really like the name because as simple as it is, you and I both know that coming up with a name for something is the hardest thing in the world. It is super <laughs> hard. You have like, social groups, you ask 50 people, you have 50 different names, and in my case, you may even record a few episodes with the older name, and you're like, you know what, I don't like how that sounds, and <laughs> you go over it over and over and over again, and I think holding down the fort, I don't know how long it took you to get there, but it's so important, because you hold down the fort by having a fort, a virtual fort, of people coming to you to gain knowledge and stability in the creative foundation, you also hold down the fort in the sense that you want to keep this idea going and you want to touch so many people and you impact so many people's lives. I think that's awesome. I think it's amazing. And I think the name is very, very appropriate. Now, certain forts are stationary. I think your fort is very versatile. It's very mobile. And that can be a theme when it comes to military life and being a military spouse or being a veteran spouse is mm -hmm. you're very mobile. You're all over the place. You're traveling nonstop. You get the next PCS, and you're like, oh, man, i got to go here. I was just getting used to this school district, or I was just getting used to this hoagie shop or this sandwich shop, and now i got to mm -hmm. move. You know, Those are things that can really blindside people. But Thank you for complimenting my title to my show, Holding Down the Fort. I do want to say that I didn't come up with the name. One of my colleagues did. And oh, wow. He, yeah, a little background in case anyone's curious. So I was talking amongst my colleagues, and I remember we were on this conference call, and I was like, you know, like, there ha it has to be a title about, like, how military spouses are just, like, killing it, you know, like how they just balance all these things and create a stable home for the service member to come back to. And so shout-out to one of my colleagues, Ethan. He said, holding down the fort. <laughs> and just like and that. Yeah, and he's a genius. If you if you met him, he's he's a crazy crazy genius, like cr crazy genius AF. I'm not gonna cuss, but if anyone knows what AF means, like yeah, he's crazy, crazy in the best way possible. And as soon as we knew that, as soon as he said that, we were like, okay, we gotta run with it. Like that's a pretty awesome title. We got you know our graphic designer to put together and and everything. 
And I hear you, like when it comes to coming up with names, like one of my other podcast shows, it took me forever to come up with that name, but I think mm-hmm. it helps, you know, they say like two, two heads are better than one, right? And so I'm so glad that I had my colleagues to talk about that. It's like I knew that the need was there, but I didn't know how to name it, and he totally did that. So that's like shout out to Ethan for, you know, that name. So hey, good regards, job, Ethan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good job, Ethan. Shout out to you. <laughs> So one thing that I think your company does really well with the U.S. vet wealth is you give people a virtual space to turn to. Not only do you do that with the podcast, but you do that with your website. Can you talk a little bit about your website and what people should expect to find on it? With our company, U.S. Vet Wealth, again, it's uh, it's not for everyone. Let me start with that. We are not your typical financial firm where we're going to talk to you about retirements and how to save for retirement and, you know, wait till you're in your 60s to pull money out of your account because anytime before then you're going to get a penalty. You're going to have to pay a penalty. We don't take that approach because when it comes to military families, when they retire, they're still pretty young. Like they're in their either late 30s, young 40s. They still have another, you know, 10, 20 years of working you know, working age before they retire. And so we do something very unique. Like we believe that, you know, our military families, our career military families truly deserve a sense of freedom and autonomy in their post-military life. They deserve it. You know, they sacrifice a lot. However, you know, a lot of financial education is tailored towards civilians and kind of like the civilian who has, you know, climbed corporate America and, you know, saves for retirement or what have you. Or, of course, like the, the wealthier families who, you know, have different, you know, like they just deal with their money differently. And so we specialize in career military families because they're not jumping from one corporate job to another. You know, they're transitioning from one completely, like, unique, crazy lifestyle back to civilian life. <laughs> and so it's not just a financial transition. It's an emotional transition. It's a psychological transition. It's a, you know, there's so many, there's so much to that transition to post-military life that the regular, you know, civilian financial advisor just cannot help with, or they just don't understand that. Very often, a lot of, let's say, realtors will say, oh, we'll help you with your VA loan. Let's help you, you know, let's help you get your first house and stuff like that. And like, that's great and all, but like, you know, it's more than that. It's more than just being a homeowner. It's like, like, where do I want to be a homeowner so that I can live my new purpose in post-military life so I can actually, you know, re-explore who I want to be, maybe pursue the career that I really wanted to pursue before I joined the military, that passion that I had, you know, a long time ago. And so when you go on our website, because we do talk about, you know, a lot, a lot of like what I call thought-provoking financial education, we provide a ton of free, like, education on everything our career military families need to know about, let's say, their survivor benefit plan, their thrift savings plan, just their military benefits in general. Mm-hmm. We show them that because, you know, the, the phrase we use is you served for it, you earned it. Like, you earned the right to achieve some level of like financial flexibility in your post-military life to not just jump into another job and not just, you know, try to replace that military paycheck, but to maybe travel for a while, maybe start a business, maybe take it easy, maybe like intern somewhere, like explore apprenticeship. You know, like we just want to encourage our military families, you know, the service members and of course the spouses, you know, as a whole to kind of rediscover who they want to be now that they have 
now that they're not being told to follow orders. <laughs> and so our website provides a ton of articles, you know, blogs. We have a number of books. One of our favorite books that we're pushing for right now is called Veteran Wealth Secrets, which mm. anyone can actually visit veteranwealthsecrets.com today to download the first three chapters, not one, not two, but three, you know, because we think that, you know, what we're putting out there is very unique and most of all, most needed and deserving for, you know, our military families. But yeah, it's very tailored to them. We also have more stuff on there, such as like access to our YouTube channel, information about my podcast show, Holding Down the Fort. My husband is also starting a show called Veteran Wealth Secrets, the same name as his book, to interview veteran business owners and also kind of serve as a talk show for us to talk more about our philosophies. But the the greatest takeaway that, you know, to sum up the website, what you'll find is just a ton of education and resources for these military families who are transitioning out or even about to or still it like still pre-seasoned, like still serving active duty, like let's say they're 10 plus years in mm-hmm. and they're looking for a way to maybe reinvest their money while they're in service because there's definitely a lot of active duty service members who, you know, get into real estate or other types of, you know, side hustles while they're in service, which is pretty astounding when they do that because it's like they already are bombarded with so much work, I think. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this is overall just a ton, a ton of value. That's really what we're trying to push for because we know that what we what we teach is not talked about enough and therefore, you know, it is very easy for a service member and a military family to kind of look at it with skepticism. And quite honestly, we welcome it. Like we want you to be skeptical. We know you're going to be skeptical. So mm-hmm. so really really look at our our education, our articles and all that stuff and really see like, you know, that what you have is good, but what you could have in learning through us could be greater. You know, that's really what we're saying. You could do just fine with what you already have, but if you're looking for more options that actually might be greater for you, our website is that place for you. Wow, I think that's so cool. Uh-oh, uh, got caught there. Uh, well, Jen, I think it's been um, a wonderful conversation. I think it's been huge, too, for people to have an extra outlet to go and learn. I think one of the best things anybody can do is learn, um, especially when it's given away in some cases for free or at very little expense. I think we do so many things to learn about the things we're passionate about. Why not be passionate about our financial security? So I think that's really, really great, something that you're offering. Well, Jen, thank you so much. This has been a huge, huge uh, opportunity, not only for, for me, but I'm sure for many of our listeners. And I'm sure I can't wait to hear more of your episodes. And hopefully I can have you back on the show in the future. Yeah. Hey, I'm all about helping and giving and educating. And so if I can give back and be back on to help your listeners, like I'm for it. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks.